three, two, one, and we're rolling. Cooling. <laughs> three, two, one, cooling. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, Ray. Great to be here. Great yeah, to be here. Thanks for having me, Ray. It's they, a, all the Rays. This is the Ray Club. Yeah, that's right. Two Rays. All the Rays hanging out, <laughs> you know? Yeah, man. I'm really happy to have you here. I'm honored to be on. It's it's great. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you reached out too. So, uh, you know, uh, it's always great meeting new people and uh, love the country that you're in very much. And as we just chatted about offline. So, yeah. Thanks, man. I've been checking awesome. out all of your uh, TED Talks. You have uh, what three TED Talks up, right? Well, you know what? I did a TED Talk in 2000 and when would that have been? 2009. Mm -hmm. And then I've done a few TEDx educational okay. talks since then so you know at various universities or schools or whatever education facilities would have these tedx events and you know i was always honored to to do one and it's been quite some time though since i did one but yeah i mean i have a website just my name and there's a lot of videos there too if ever you find yourself bored on a on a gloomy day when you're not out walking let me you know check yeah it out. I've, <laughs> I've checked out all of your ted talks that i could find and well, I first came across you in the Guinness World Records. And when I actually got watching your videos before I contacted you was, I found it excellent that you're not just like an athlete. In fact, before you're even an athlete, it seems like you have a philosophy and in which you've actually built your own foundation from, like impossible to possible. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Tell, tell me about absolutely. that. Absolutely. And I, that's, and so, so my, and that philosophy is that each and every one of us is capable of doing something extraordinary in our lives. Um, you know, I've often said that I feel in a way that I've lived two lives. Many of us do. There's a pre-life and then there's the life that we're living now that we're very passionate about. And that pre-life for me was someone who was unhealthy, unhappy, you know, uh, very, uh, you know, unhealthy habits, if you will, um, you know, smoking a pack of two cigarettes, two packs a day, uh, drinking too much, doing things that a lot of us did do when we were younger, but, you know, taking things to an excess always. And, you know, being without goals or, or uh, direction in life. And now I'm living a life where through adventure, I've discovered um, this whole different person. And so with Impossible to Possible, I try to take young people on expeditions where they can learn about themselves, um, learn about their world, teach what they're learning about their world to students who follow from classrooms all over the world. And these expeditions are very difficult. They're running expeditions. You could be running through the middle of the Amazon jungle. You could be Whoa. trekking across sand dunes in Tunisia. You could be doing anything. And the expeditions, everything we do is 100% free. Oh, really? 100% free, no cost associated. So for anyone listening, how can they go about uh, getting involved or checking that out? Or what, what is there a particular sort of people you aim to work with in this? Well, so I, I am not on the selection committee. We try to, and I mean, we've been in a COVID year and then for the year before COVID, uh, we had an expedition planned to um, a part of the world where there was, um, you know, some, some things going on politically that made it unsafe. So we were unable to go. Um, but uh, in a typical year, we do a call to action around this time and we start announcing, hey, you know, uh, you got six weeks to apply. 
uh, fill out your application and then let's uh, see if you get selected by our selection committee to go on a youth expedition, 16 to 21 years of age, can be from anywhere in the world. Doesn't matter what your background is, your demographic, doesn't, nothing matters, apply, you know? And um, and we're very fortunate to, we get flooded with applications and our, and our team imagine. time deciding who will go, but we only have, you know, the resources that we have to be able to take these young people because it is no strings attached, no cost. And so that's always been- Must be the way very high demand. Yeah, exactly. So we can only, we can only take five, five youth ambassadors at a time. So it's very hard to get everyone, you know? Sure. So you made an interesting point that you came from an unhealthy lifestyle and healthy habits, uh, drinking, smoking. How did you go from that to being an ultra marathon runner? Because it's such a it's such a drastic change. Was there something in particular that caused that snap or what was it that you saw or that you learned that? Well, you know, Ray, it's it's uh, my my brother, uh, John, my younger brother, John, uh, who I, I tell people all the time is my greatest inspiration. Uh, he, um, he was the reason that I was able to, to change my life and, and do the things that I do now. So it was the late nineties. It's a long time ago, right? Be before there was like easy access through social media to various people that you could be inspired by or want to follow, et cetera. But at any rate, he was someone who was close to me in my life and who had gone through a life transformation of his own. And I see this guy who, uh, you know, became so confident through the sports that he was doing, like through rock climbing and, and mountain biking. These were things that I wasn't familiar with. You know, I grew up in a small town in Canada. Um, hockey is, is everything, you know, and, and I was never going to be a hockey player, still can't skate. Um, you know, I, I never played baseball, football, any of those conventional sports, but he was doing sports that were very unconventional that I was learning about, truly heard about for sure, but learning about firsthand from him truly for the very first time and seeing his passion grow and I thought to myself wow if I could just feel a tiny bit like he does I think my life would be different and that was sort of what spawned this idea in my mind well what have I got to lose but to try you know that's a long time ago it took me three years uh to quit smoking which was quite literally the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life and and I've told people that I'm lucky now in my life I get to speak all over the world at events where and when when we're not having pandemics and uh, I get a lot of people will, will say to me after, hey, you know, uh, uh, awesome talk, but I got to tell you that part where you said the most difficult thing you ever did was quit smoking. I quit smoking. It took me a day. And I remind them that the most difficult things and processes we go through in our life are very relative to us as individuals, that it's not something that you can necessarily explain to someone else, like I'm trying to explain here today, but it's something that you know in your every fiber what it is that you go through. And so for me, that three-year process of trying and failing and then eventually quitting, I, I owned it in such a way that it was such a real experience to me that when I went on the other side and started changing my life around and doing the things that he was doing, and I was a passionate mountain biker long before I was a passionate runner, mm -hmm. I realized I had the same engine he did. Uh, the harder I trained, the cleaner I ate, the more sleep I got, the better I got. And, and it was you start feeling better, person. you start thinking better, everything when you start to incorporate good diet, exercise, drinking properly, cutting out the negative things you put in your body, people underestimate the, the difference that can actually have in your life. And I think you totally. really are an example of that. Totally. You know, and I think, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a scenario where you 
really own what you're doing and how you're feeling. Like you, you like the buck stops with, with you, you know, and you, I don't want to say take ownership of your life because that sounds just such like a overused term, but I can't really think of anything else. You start to really um, learn from yourself and you become much more open-minded as those changes are happening because you realize that, Hey, through change and through things that you do, there's a cause and effect in life. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's a powerful realization as well, because when people are, you know, their diet's bad, they're thinking bad thoughts and maybe things in their life are just not the way they want and they're feeling depressed, they're not sleeping properly. It's dangerous because you can just think that's how your life is. But see, once you incorporate these couple of minor changes and you start to see the results of those changes, you can actually get hooked on it and you think, hold on, if I just change my habits a little bit, this is the sort of uh, change I can get right which must really be empowering like you go to the gym a couple of times and you start to see that you're getting stronger you're looking a bit better and then you just get hooked on that totally you get hooked on feeling good right you get hooked on the fact that you have the ability to um change things in in your own life that uh nobody else can affect do you know what i'm saying yeah you, yeah. you get hooked on the fact that through things that, and so that precipitates into every other part of your life, right? Because then, then you realize, oh, wow, well, if I can do this, what else can I do? So when was it you went into ultra running? Because like the positive change, I totally get that. But like ultra running, it's it's so okay. ultra marathoning. That's so extreme. So, so where did I, that I, come in? I'll tell you, I followed my brother into the outdoors. Mm -hmm and um, started doing all the things he was doing. Like I said, you know, the mountain biking and the climbing and the paddling and all that, but he was an amazing runner. He was a trail runner, a passionate trail runner. It really wasn't the thing that I was into so much. I, I began adventure racing, but I really loved mountain biking. And it became, I think I was like on the, uh, you know, on the, the, the bikes constantly and uh, training constantly and, and all that, it became my focus. Mm -hmm. And I read a magazine article around that time, about 2003, I read a magazine article about ultra marathons. So I make the change in 2000, 2003, I read this article and I am hearing about this, reading about this incredible thing called an ultra marathon that takes place in the Yukon, in the Arctic every year, various mm -hmm. events and distances, but I'm focused in on this hundred mile distance of this race, 160 kilometers. And I'm thinking, I said, what the hell? These people run 160 kilometers without stopping. And my brother was, is an avid marathon runner. So I was quite familiar with the absurdity of his ability to run 42 kilometers in my mind at this point, when riding a bike is a much more efficient and fast way to get to the destination is where my head would go when reading uh -huh. things like this. And, you know, I was so mesmerized by these people in this article who appeared as normal people as you or I or anyone else we know in our lives, but we're doing something so extraordinary that I thought to myself, well, what makes them think they can do this? Like, what makes them think that trying something like this is a sensible decision? Like it's gotta be something like they're learning something amazing about themselves in doing something like this. So I thought to myself, well, geez, I wanna know what it is they know. Because I've learned amazing things about myself in three years of all this mountain bike racing and endurance sports that I was doing, but nothing like what it appeared these people were doing 
mm. uh, themselves. So I closed that magazine. I entered that race, having never done a foot race. So my very so first- So at this point, you had never done a marathon, but you went straight into no. an ultra marathon? I never did a 5K <laughs> road race. And I entered my first ultra <laughs> And, and, and lo and behold, I, mean, I did the best I could. I struggled to prepare <laughs> for this thing. And I mean, really, truly my goal in this. How thing, long did you prepare for? I had a couple of months. I had like three okay. months to get ready. This is by way, by no means like total disclaimer on this podcast. This is not the proper way to do things. <laughs> it's just the way it's sort of memory. But I, I, um, I had, I had like about three, three months, maybe four months. I think it was uh-huh. to get ready. And I, um, I did the best I could. I rallied friends who were runners. I had this huge engine from mountain bike racing. I, I did quite well mountain bike racing and adventure racing. I, you know, I, I really loved to go out. I ran maybe five or six times with my brother at some point. So I knew I could run, uh, but it took me time. And, you know, I remember that first seven K kilometer, seven kilometer run that I did near my place, seven, eight kilometers where I didn't have to take a walking break. And it wasn't because I didn't have the fitness. I had tremendous fitness from riding my mountain bike, but it was like, just for me personally, again, these things are very relative. I just would get achy, you know? Mm-hmm. And my buddies would tweak my technique. Hey, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. Do this instead, do that way instead. And and I and I learned from them and I just became engrossed in it. And I entered this race, um, you know, uh, and, and went into it less than six months later from, from making the decision, four months, whatever it was. And I won it. And I mean, I, I, not only did I finish it, I, 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 you know, I completed it in first place and I could not believe that I had the ability to go that far on my feet, but it's a much longer story. It would take the entire podcast for me to tell you what happened in that race, mm-hmm. but some, suffice to say, in summary, I went through various transitions of, okay, here we go. Oh my God, this sucks. Oh my God. What was I thinking? This is the worst <laughs> thing I've ever done in my life. I, I feel like my feet are going to fall off. Hang on a sec. The pain's going away. Oh my God, I won this race and I feel like a million bucks. So oh it's like, how many people were in the race? How many people oh, were there's you? not many people, 45, I'm guessing in total okay. Okay. across all the events. But it was the point that I had never been number one. You know, it was a great feeling. I won't lie to you. It felt great. And I thought for sure, this is a fluke. I mean, this is like not normal. So this you'd never happen. run a 5K. You decided not to run I, a I train. Okay. Yes, but not in a sanctioned sure events. but you've you know, never done a sanctioned event 5k you went straight into an ultra marathon with three months to prepare and you won yeah, i wouldn't repeat those <laughs> things too intense. your listeners are going to think oh this might be a really good way to get going <laughs> on this whole ultra running thing so i did that race and then i thought to myself wow human beings human beings in general we many times in our lives will underestimate ourselves physically mentally and emotionally and i never thought if you told me Mm-hmm. that I was going to be able to do this thing, complete it. I wouldn't have mm-hmm. believed, but win it. And so I went on and started doing these races all over the world because I just, I wanted to learn more about myself. I wanted to feel as good in my life typing emails and having conversations with you as I am finishing these ultra marathons, how good I felt. And so then I, I went on to do other races around the world. Sometimes they didn't go so well. Other times I won more races. So, so see, was- see that first ultra marathon, how long did that take? How, how long did it take to complete that? Well, yeah, give me these skill testing questions. Like that's so long <laughs> ago. I'm thinking my running time was 24 hours and something. And I think that they, and I had to drag a sled with all my gear and food, but I think that they had 
like a four hour mandatory layover gear check. So it would have been like around 28 hours. I can't remember. Oh, and is that across like two days or three days? No, that's straight through. That's straight through. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. Well, I mean, people, there's lots of nuttier things out there. Let me tell you. Yeah. Well, you went from that to, you know, so you're probably in your twenties at this point, right? And you went from being a smoker, drinker, struggling with these addictions to entering an ultra marathon and then even going so far as to uh, achieving a world record. So tell me about the world records you have. Yeah, well, I mean, world records. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm kind of uncomfortable with the term. I mean, I listen, I, here's the deal. I'm an explorer and I cross geographic areas of this planet on foot. That's what I do. I like to move fast and light because as you can tell, even through the camera, I am very impatient. I am a eh, high energy kind of person, right? <laughs> uh-huh. And so I am not one, like on the on the Arctic expeditions, I go uh-huh. most times or, or cold expeditions uh, unsupported, meaning I haul all my gear, supplies, food, everything with me. But in desert expeditions, I'm not pulling a cart or anything. I go as far as I can with a pack that enables me to run as far as I can without needing a resupply when it's 50 degrees Celsius out, right? So maybe every 30 kilometers or so, 20, anywhere between 20, let's say, and 50 kilometers, I'll go at a time and then I get a resupply and I try to do like 70K a day on average. Some days are more, some days are less, depends on the sand dunes, salt flats, it depends on so much. Um, So many of these deserts that I've crossed, like the Atacama, 1,200 kilometers. I crossed it in the middle of summer in 2011 from the Peruvian border south to Copiapo. That was the first crossing of the Atacama Desert. So is that a world record? Well, it's not really a record if it was the first time, right? Across the Gobi Desert summer 2013 uh, from northeast to southwest, completely across Mongolia, over 2,000 kilometers. So these kind of projects, right? The Patagonian Desert, 1,000 kilometers coast to coast. The Namib Desert, 1,850 kilometers, that sort of thing. And then all these other Arctic and Antarctic expeditions. But if you want to talk about an official Guinness World Record, uh, two buddies of mine and I broke the world record for unsupported uh, travel from Hercules Inlet to the geographic South Pole in 2009. It took us 33 days, 23 hours, 55 minutes, dragging all of our supplies with us. And I know you've seen the TED Talk. And what's interesting, yes, it's you know, I rarely, difficult. yeah, it was, you know, at the time, dude, very dangerous that, also, 2009, right? In 2009, when I did that expedition and I did that TED talk in Long Beach, um, it was incredibly difficult, extraordinarily. But dude, I've done a lot of hard things since then. Let me tell you, I'm at like close to 20,000 kilometers I've covered on foot, right? I've done a lot of hard expeditions that now I look back in retrospect. And to be perfectly honest with you, this is something that life teaches us that the more experiences we have, our mental shifts on what our perception of difficult is. And I look back now and I think to myself, wow, it was hard then, but some of the Arctic trips I've done since then, oh, way harder, you know? And there was hard days on the way to the South Pole, but most days were fantastic. The, the worst injury I had actually, I had, some, I had some injuries on the way to the South Pole. I, I went on foot, I didn't go on skis, I went on foot hauling all my gear. So in hauling that super heavy sled and going on foot the entire way, yeah, you know, I had a, an ill-fitting seam on one of my boots that rubbed. I never get blisters. Like, it's super rare. I've had two epic blisters on expeditions. I uh, saw one, one of them in one of your oh. TED Talks. You, you yeah. Saw it. 
looked. Yeah, one of them was this, and it was infected. And so, you know, my buddy had to sit on my legs and and cut it because we didn't want to get, you know, we had one course of antibiotics for the three of us. And if one of us got really sick, one of us would take those antibiotics. I didn't want to take the antibiotics. And it was super infected. So I don't tell you what we did with the iodine. But, you know, the worst injury I had on that expedition was the three of us sitting around in the tent. And we brought enough uh, single malt with us to each have like, like a little less than a shot a night, right? And we'd sit around and we'd laugh so hard, the three of us, that at one night I pulled an abdominal muscle. I was laughing so hard at something my body said. And <laughs> for the rest of the expedition, it felt like I broke my ribs you know, while I was pulling that sled because we were- And that was your worst injury. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we just had so much fun. It was difficult, but Uh, we had a lot of fun. And I've looked back on that from, whenever I'm on an expedition and things are going really tough or going sideways, I look back at that South Pole expedition. I think to myself, wow, our perception of what it was at the time and what it is now is different. For sure, it was hard, but there was so much more positive in that. The, you know, great times, great expedition memories on that trip that I'm not sure could ever be repeated for us personally, you know? Sure, man. That's a really incredible story. It's it, it's actually a hilarious. Um, speaking of worse injuries, I, I can't think of a better one. You got it from laughing so hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's one of those, you know, crazy things. So anyhow. Okay, man. Uh, so just more on the South Pole expedition. So in your TED talk and for anyone who's watching this, I recommend watching that video because that sounded like not only a very difficult, but a very dangerous trip. So what were some of the biggest challenges you faced in uh, completing that challenge of going through the South Pole? Uh, well, you know, South Pole, I would say the crevasses and the Southern, uh, sorry, the Southern, on the more coastal rain, you know, as, as we were leaving the coast, and working our way inland, those crevasses were pretty were pretty heinous. Um, headwinds. There were some cold days with some strong headwinds, especially on the low on the you know the lower latitudes. And then as we got closer to the South Pole, but what's interesting about Antarctic expeditions that a lot of people don't know is that unlike a winter Arctic expedition. When you're on a winter Arctic expedition, the sun doesn't come up, dude. It just pops up over the horizon a little bit and it's damn cold because it's dark all the time. And there's polar bears out there, which are essentially a minibus with teeth, right? Just (laughs) giant claws roaming around in the Arctic, right? On Antarctica, the sun is swirling around in the sky. So although you've got those insanely cold days, when you do get in your tent, um, quote unquote at night but of course the sun doesn't really set you know um it heats up in that tent almost like a greenhouse effect which is something that i'll never forget it was pretty amazing you know now in the storms when it would uh when storms would kick up um you know you you you'd have um it would get cold right because the the wind's blowing through and the tent's shaking and all that and the sun is covered now Mm -hmm. so all of a sudden it feels cold right it's covered by the clouds but yeah, that's what I'd say, you know, about that. That's what I would say. So see, on that expedition, you were the sled you're carrying. That was what, 170 pounds, right? Yes. That's 180, 185 pounds. 185. You must be moving at snail's pace, pulling that behind you. 
Yeah. I mean, we, it was, and you're uphill all the way to the South Pole, right? So uh, definitely you're not moving too fast. And, you know, we had all our supplies, we had our food, tent, all the equipment. Plus we had satellite equipment and camera equipment because we were sharing the expedition. All of my expeditions are shared with classrooms all over the world mm -hmm. every day, live. That's how we do it. And so we were doing the same thing on that expedition. So we had all this extra gear with us, you know, and some days you'd be like, oh my gosh, this gear. But you know, you, you're committed, right? So you do it. Yeah, man. Uh, one of the things that I was most interested in is when you were talking about these ultramarathon runners and you thought they just know something, they know something that you didn't know. It wasn't that they were capable of something, it was that they knew something different. Now, with this project that I'm doing of uh, specifically reaching out to world record holders, yeah, and I'm really lucky you, world record holders are so kind and willing to come and talk to me about it. One of the things I'm looking to kind of decodify is what is the mindset of someone wanting to be the best at someone? What does it take? What kind of way of thinking is it to... Um, have that prestige and that drive to become excellent at something. So maybe there's a crossover area there, something you discovered in uh, I'm learning not sure. what is it that these I, people have? Yeah, I think everybody's different, dude. I think everybody's different and everybody has their reasons for the things that they do and the way that they do it. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, somebody asked me the other day, oh, how did they put it? I can't remember exactly, but it was a similar sort of, question or philosophy like I, I must be going after it mm -hmm. but I was when I was racing ultra marathons for sure I started to thrive on the competition when I was racing mountain bikes it was the same thing I was going after it right because mm -hmm. I am a competitive person but the ironic thing is is in my life as an explorer the world record of the south pole was not something that was the focus for us it just kind of happened you know what I'm saying we had so many days supply of food so that's, you know, we were going to eventually run out of scotch. We had to get there, you know? So we kind of had, you know, and all kidding aside, we had a, you know, a certain amount of supplies with us and we wanted to get there in a certain amount of time. In any of the expeditions, like when I, I, met, I mentioned the Atacama Desert the other day, it wasn't that I was at the outset thinking, you know what, I got to be the first. What can I do that'll make me the first? Well, I'm going to cross the Atacama Desert in the middle of summer. It wasn't like that. The thought that goes into my mind is, the Atacama Desert is a place that I for sure want to check out one of these days. Because I'd raced ultras all over, deserts all over when I was racing. And having crossed the entire Sahara Desert, I wanted to go and discover all the other deserts of the planet. Having participated in the running the Sahara expedition, the three of us, 7,500 kilometers across the Sahara, and seeing the power of filmmaking, uh, Matt Damon made a film called Running the Sahara with James Mall about that expedition seeing the power of adventure and storytelling and how so many students and people followed that expedition because they, they became excited to learn about a place through an adventure that we were on. I thought, oh my God, I want to go and do this in the other deserts, cold and hot all over the world. So I'm going to go across the Atacama Desert. And you're so into it and you're researching it. And I want this route. I went, this is the route I'm going to do it. I want to go, I'm doing this thing authentically. I'm doing it in the middle of the summer when it's the most deserty, right? Like I'm going to go when it's the hottest. I'm going to go and do this thing, really experience the, the viciousness of the Atacama desert, but at the same time, see the desert skies at peak sun and stuff like that. Right. Well, and then you're, you're doing the expedition. You realize, Oh, geez, I might be the first person to, to cross the Atacama Desert. Like, you know what I'm saying? Whoa. It's a secondary yeah. thought. So the driver for me is something completely different. It doesn't make it any better or any worse than what's 
drive to do something is. It's just, it's unique to us. The great things that we achieve in our lives are relative to us as individuals as well. What means something to you, you can't explain it to me. So some podcast, you know, uh, awards committee calls you up and says, Ray, your podcast is so incredible. We want to give you podcast of the year award. And that feeling, whatever it is inside you, you call up your best friend or a family member and you say, oh my God, you're not going to believe this. I'm getting the podcast of the year award. And they're like, that's amazing, dude. But they don't really know what that means to you because uh, it's internal, sure. right? So we do things for whatever that internal mechanism is. And we do things and achieve things in our lives that have a meaning that is internal. That's very hard to describe to someone else. It's great to share with others, but it, it's got to mean something to you to do something. Yeah, man. You one thing I really you're very easy to podcast because like anything I've asked you, you can actually like give me a philosophy on it, which is just excellent. Um, I really I, I'm, people say I ramble on too much. My wife says I talk too much. <laughs> no, <I'll, laughs> I'm gonna tell you well, that. well, see with like I'm really into not so much running. Like the idea of doing a marathon is actually really daunting to me. But who knows? Maybe I'll join you for an ultra marathon one day even though I've never done a 5k, <laughs> you know, where we're, you know, and you know where we're going to do that ultra marathon because of our conversation previous. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. Doing in the Isle of Sky, dude. <laughs> and you're coming oh, to the Isle of Sky. Call me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll be there. <laughs> I won't come up with any excuses. Yeah. But yeah, man. So my thing is mainly weight training. I love uh, lifting weights. That That's something I've always been inclined to. And the people I've been drawn to most of the people, not just that are just lifting so they can, for their health or because of whatever reason there's like a philosophy behind it which actually makes it really beautiful and that's one thing i like about you you've got a philosophy behind um, every one of your answers but i think it's incredible i think it's really inspiring and i think you must be a great influence to the people that you take on these expeditions it must be a really uh, elevating and uplifting thing in their lives and i'm sure you've seen a lot of real positive changes in people from these expeditions you take them on would you say that's the case? Well, there's two streams. Yes. And I thank you for that. Like there's two. So there's the impossible, possible youth expeditions, which we talked about earlier in the podcast, which are the free expeditions. But then there's another set of expeditions with my business. Capic one. I'm shamelessly wearing the sweatshirt today. I don't know if you can see it on the thing. Yeah. 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 And, um, What's the business my, called? What's the business Capic called? Capic one. And how can people find it? Just K-A-P-I-K number one.com. Capic one.com. Cool. And we I'll got put the link people. in the description for anyone who wants to check it out. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. And we we guide people on expeditions of their own around the world back to some of the places that I've been where I've made lifelong friends. Let me just for a moment say any of the youth expeditions that we do, any of my expeditions that we that we've done. So my expeditions plus youth expeditions were over 30 expeditions around the world. We spend every cent of logistical monies in country, in community whenever possible, right? So the vast majority, if not all monies have been spent in those countries. So we, we become very connected to the community in various ways from an economic perspective, but also from, I would almost say from like the pseudo philosophical perspective where we're connecting with people because we're working with people in these areas and we're developing friendships. So, you know, I've been to Chile. I don't even, I don't even know how many times. The, the, I have like family there and wow. and we we now we bring 
people to the Atacama Desert and get them to experience it in a way that's different than the way I experienced it, different than the way my youth ambassadors have experienced a piece of it. And it's, yeah, I'm not going to make go, anybody go there and run 1,200 kilometers across the Atacama Desert, but I've carved out 200 or 150 amazing kilometers and an amazing experience. So I get to take people, and, and I'll tell you, youth ambassadors, for sure, it's the obvious. You're 17 years old, and you go into the middle of the Peruvian or the Brazilian Amazon, and you're trekking from an indigenous community to the next with all your gear on your back, and you finish this deal, you cannot believe that you've done it, right? And you've got tens of thousands of students following you, cheering you on the entire way. It feels really great, and it's life-altering. But what I think is so incredible about the adults that get to go is to see on the Capacuan expeditions is to see them think things are going to be a certain way because they've had so much life experience. And then they go and do it. And then they come out the other end with completely different understanding of what they've just experienced in different ways. It can be the run, can be physical, can be emotional, the connections they've made because we keep small groups, the things they've learned. But by the time the expedition is over, it has a completely different meaning and context to them. So I, I love that aspect too. So it's not just the philosophy sort of spilling over into these expeditions. It's enabling people to have an amazing experience in a place where they challenge themselves, learn about things, and on their own terms. I'm a big believer in that. You gotta, you gotta do things on your own terms in life. No one makes you do anything. You know, unless it's a unless it's a horrible circumstance where someone forces you to do stuff. But in general, generally speaking, the great things that we can do personally in our lives, we we do on our own terms most times. Yeah, personally, I, I totally get that as a teacher. And one big influence for me growing up was Bruce Lee. And Bruce Lee always had this uh, quote of you can't take a student to the right path. You can just point the way. And if that student just stares at the finger rather than walking the distance, then it's them who's missing out. And as a teacher, I see that because you can talk to a student, you can give someone advice, you can tell them what they need to do and they shake their head. Oh yeah, that's right. I see that problem. That's what I need to do. But if they don't take the time to do the studying outside of class, if they did not make the effort uh, beyond even studying when you, you know, you recommend to people going to the gym and training and eating properly, like rationally they understand it it totally makes sense there's nothing they can disagree with because you're talking sense but the drive needs to be within them otherwise just nothing happens you're absolutely right i mean it goes with the old saying um you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink oh yeah that's it right i mean you, you, you there's just people have to do things they have to commit to that thing whatever that thing is you know yeah man okay um I know you've got to get going soon, so I'm just going to ask you a couple of uh, quick sure. questions. So what's your favorite quote? My favorite quote? Oh, God. Uh, people ask me that one, and I get stuck on it all the time. I mean, you know, look at I. Yeah. Can you ask me another one? I don't really. I mean, there's so many great quotes out there. Uh -huh. um, but I think what uh, uh, using uh -huh. just talking briefly about quotes, I just want to say this. Going and going back to a lot of the things that you're saying as a teacher and, and, and in the philosophy of strength training and proper nutrition and being healthy. It's amazing how many of these old school sayings that we don't really know where they come from are actually valid in our lives beyond the ones that have more of an emotional context or a, or a, you know, inspire you context, like practical ones, like you are what you eat. 
I mean, oh yeah, totally. Whoever came up with that, because it, it's hundred percent right. You know, so those kind of quotes are the ones that fascinate me the most. Because I'm like, that is like that's so brilliant. Whoever came up with it, they okay. So this is going to make sense. You are what you eat. It makes perfect sense, especially now when we need society healthier. You know, I need to research yeah, and find out who said that first because it's so accurate. It's not just you are what you eat. You are who you hang out with and what you listen totally. to and what you watch in that's those are yes these are all valid things i mean there's a, there's a million other ones like that old schooler ones that i call i can't think of right now you know but anyhow okay next question for you your favorite book recently my favorite book recently so i've had a lot of favorite books but my recent favorite one is the secret i think it's called the secret life of trees okay is it what genre is it I don't know. I mean, it would be nonfiction, but it's about uh, it's about this scientist who determined that trees actually have a capacity to communicate with one another. Wow. And it completely changes your mind. It's been translated into like 40 languages or something. You got to look it up. It's amazing. Well, somebody's going to correct me on the title. It's either like the secret life of trees or the secret life. I can't remember, but it's that that's sort of in the thing. What do trees communicate about? Everything. Okay. You know, there's trees, there's acacia trees in uh, Africa, I believe it's the acacias that will, you know, these, these sort of like uh, stands of trees that will communicate to another stand of trees as there's approaching herd of giraffes. So these, Whoa, no yeah, so these trees that are being eaten and I'm please listeners i know you're going to correct me on this because i can't it's been about a few like maybe a year since i read the book but i loved it that much so i may be getting this a little bit but you have to check it out i may be getting this a little bit inaccurate but read the book it's easy to read but anyhow these trees will release a pheromone or whatever the term is correct scientific term where it sweetens the leaves so the drafts are attracted to those while the other ones release a much more bitter tasting so that the giraffes will bypass them therefore enabling the survival of the entire sort of forested area of trees. Wow, that's incredible. Incredible. So, and there's more than that, dude. And there was a, there was actually a documentary about fungi that came out, which was a game. I, he- I heard of that. I heard fungi can actually be massive. It can be the size of an, like one organism can be the size of a whole forest or something. But you, you could, like if you're in one of our Canadian forests, they're like, where I live in Quebec, it's like here in the summer, it's 30 degrees, 35 degrees Celsius at 100% humidity. It's like a jungle. And you go in that forest, you step on that ground, you're stepping on a capillary network of hundreds of kilometers of uh, tendrils or whatever they call it, coming off of the different funguses. And they all communicate throughout the forest. There's communication there too. So I think we underestimate uh, a lot of our our, uh, environment. We don't know half of what we think we know. That's amazing. Uh, Secret Life of Trees. I'm going to look that up and try to find it. Any, any yeah, chance you know who the author is? No, I can't quite remember. Easy. I, think it's it's to find. I think it's a German uh, author, but it, dude, it's like, it might be one of the most popular books on the planet. Okay, I'll check out. Yeah, uh, fine. Last question. Favorite movie? Well, that's changed over the years. I loved uh, original Star Wars growing up. Um, I like all genres of film, but there's been some really amazing ones. So I loved that. I loved recent films. The Irishman, I thought was just absolutely incredible what they did with it. 
um, Icarus, the documentary film, I thought was just so well made. Um, you know, the dramas over the years that, I, you know, I, I could go on and on. There's, I love movies. I love film. I love everything from, uh, you know, silent films to, to modern filmmaking. You know, Kubrick is amazing. Uh, Spielberg is amazing to me. The feel of his films. I just, I love film. So that's a whole other, bring me back on. We'll talk for an hour. About yeah, film. we'll just talk about movies next time. Yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> Yeah, man. Ray, thank you so much for joining me. I had a lot of fun in this chat and I can't wait to share it with my audience and I'm sure they're going to love it too. Thank you so much. I look forward to sharing it. Yeah. Come on, tell me when you're coming to Scotland and we'll do an ultra marathon together. Let's do it. Let's okay. do it. I'm planning on a trip. Listen, I want to take my kids to see those cooling mountains and I'll, you know, they, they better not see them before you. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Thank you so much.